I'll just give you that. I don't know if you need that later on. That well, There you go. Because my eyes are so good now, I can pick up little things that fall on the floor. So uh, I was having a total panic attack this morning. I'm driving to church. I couldn't find my glasses at home this morning. I'm like, this is going to be a really interesting sermon if I can't find my glasses. Because I don't know what's happened over the last four months. But everything's blurry now. Like everything close. I can see all of you great. But then I go like this and it's like... Moses and the elders, and then I can kind of get it over there, but I left them here on Friday, so there we go, so we're okay. Um, (laughs) It's funny how little tiny things, like not knowing where your glasses are, can bring huge amounts of discomfort. Does anyone else relate to that? (laughs) Right? Just a little tiny disruption to our regular organized, structured lives can really derail us. Uh, And so I'm just kind of curious, just by show of hands, how many of you would say, yeah, I'm like pretty structured? Like, I, I like life a certain way, and I like things to be quite organized. And, uh, and okay, that's awesome. There's a few of you. Now, show of hands, how many of you have, like, a regular routine that you've implemented when you get sick? Can anyone else do this? Okay, a, a few hands. Okay, I was like this for years and years and years. I had a regular routine every time I got sick, except for COVID sick, because COVID just busted all my routines. But before that, anytime I would get sick, I would grab a warm, a big, thick, giant comforter, and I'd make my way onto the couch in the living room, and I'd watch Star Wars. Uh, now, now, good Star Wars. I mean, like the old original trilogy Star Wars. And I'd start with A New Hope, and then I'd watch The Empire Strikes Back, and then I'd watch Return of the Jedi. And then I was hoping after about that six and a half hours that I'd be cured, and I'd be completely healed. I mean, the reason why I wasn't allowed to do that when I had COVID sick is because I wasn't allowed in the living room. So, and watching Star Wars on my computer is not the same. You need the TV and the surround sound and all of these things, right? But when we find ourselves sick, life disrupted, all of these kind of things, we look for these things that bring us comfort, to bring a sense of balance back into our lives. And as followers of Jesus, um, we know in our heads that God is our comfort. We quote the verses. We, we talk about this notion that God is our comfort in all things. But if we were really honest with one another, do we truly seek God for our comfort when things are tough? I'm going to admit I don't. I don't. When things are tough and I'm hurting and I'm struggling with something, there is a default in me that says, Kevin Presso, fix this. You're educated enough. You're smart enough. You're talented enough. You need to solve this on your own because everyone is looking at you to solve it. Your wife is looking at you to solve it. Your kids are looking at you to solve it. Your church is looking at you to solve it. So Kevin, suck it up and fix it. Anyone else ever feel that way? Please don't let it just be me. (laughs) Okay? 
we do this. We say as followers of Jesus, we believe that God is our comfort. But our actions show otherwise. And so as we continue this summer series of going through the book of Isaiah, my hope and my desire today is to use the word of God to help each and every one of us, no matter where we are in our spiritual walk with God, to develop a better habit of turning to God when we need comfort. It's easy to turn to God when everything's going great. It's easy to turn to God when there's so many blessings in the world and in our families and in our lives. But it's in those times of suffering that through my own personal experience, through your experience, through church history, and through the teaching of God's word, we see God shows up differently when we're suffering, if we turn to him for comfort. And so just as a a little bit as a reminder, if you're not familiar with Isaiah, uh, Isaiah was a prophet um, in the Old Testament, kind of way back several thousand years ago in our time. And and he led, uh, so not that he led, but he did his ministry in a season where there were like four different kings in, in the realm, in the area of Judah. Uh, this was about the 8th century BC. Uh, we don't know a lot about him. We know he was married. We know he had children. And, and he worked with all these different kings. And he was constantly bringing these messages to the people of Judah. Uh, a message of mercy. A message of justice. A message of salvation that God wants to bring. And Isaiah is constantly quoted in the New Testament. In the prophecies leading to the birth of Jesus, Isaiah is constantly quoted for that. The salvation that God wants to bring to mankind, Isaiah is constantly quoted for this. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at um, Isaiah chapter 40. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up and we're going to look at it today. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to read the entire chapter today. Okay, and I know I get it that that's going to be long for some of you. So kids, just like like hang in, okay? But I want to read the entirety of the chapter because this chapter does a number of things, and you need to listen carefully to the word. So I encourage you to be look. Don't just listen to me, but read along, follow along with me, because these words give us such a profound sense on who God is. His character, his nature, his compassion for people. Okay? So it's important to do this, uh, to look at it closely and, and hear these words to help us understand a little bit better who God is. But in, in chapter 40, and this is just a little bit of kind of Bible trivia for you this morning, there, there's a shift that happens in Isaiah chapter 40 for the rest of the book. Uh, In chapters, uh, all the chapters leading up to this, um, Isaiah is recording um, the, the problems that the people of Israel were having, the threat that they were facing from the Assyrians. So the Assyrians were a group of people, enemies of Israel, and they were constantly at war with them. And so there's kind of this, the, this, this backdrop of the Assyrians and the relationship that Judah had with them and, and, and that war and everything that was happening. But, and then in verses um, 36 to 39, Isaiah records for us the Assyrians' failure. 
how they are going to fail ultimately. And then he also warns about the rise of a new enemy called Babylon. And then chapter 40 actually jumps ahead in time. Like Isaiah, one of the reasons why Isaiah is hard to to study and to know what's going on, because it's not as chronological as, say, like one of the Gospels or things like that. So chapter 40 actually jumps forward like 150 years. Now, there's some scholarly debate, if you really want to nerd out at your dinner table tonight and kind of test people's Bible knowledge, ask them, did Isaiah really write chapter 40 or was it someone else? Okay, it's a great question. We're not sure. Okay, it may have been a disciple of Isaiah, someone who has learned from Isaiah, continuing that line, one of his ancestors who's now a prophet, who continued this prophetic ministry. Or it could have been Isaiah actually getting a vision from 150 years from now when the Babylonians were going to come and completely destroy Jerusalem and the temple and capture the people and send them into a 70-year exile. Okay? If you think life is hard for us as Canadian Christians... <laughs> You really need to read Isaiah chapter 40 with eyes of people who have been ripped from their homes, ripped from their temple, ripped from their entire way of living and sent to a completely different foreign land to live as slaves now, life, I'm not want to belittling that sometimes life isn't hard here because it is. <laughs> but the heart cry of this prophet in these words is speaking to people whose lives have been completely destroyed and annihilated for 70 years. <laughs> 70 years unable to come into the presence of God. 70 years of not knowing who they are as children of God. 70 years of being enslaved by their enemies. And Isaiah 40 begins the promise that this slavery, this exile that you are in, people of God, is about to come to an end. It's almost done. Your suffering, your hurt, your pain, your discomfort is coming to an end. That's what these words bring us in this huge, probably one of the most distressful times in the history of the people of Israel. These words from Isaiah 40 bring incredible comfort. And my hope, and this is why I want to read the whole chapter today. Whatever you are facing, whatever is bringing you or your family or your workplace or your situation great stress and great discomfort, maybe, just maybe, it might be coming to an end soon. But you need to hang on while you're still in it. So Isaiah 40 helps me (laughs) big time this week. To hang on. To hang on. So let me read this together today. Again, I'm going to read the whole thing. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 31. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands, with the breath of his hands marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altars of fire, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and he fashions it with a silver chain for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned upon the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. And he, spreads them, he spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither. And like a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, may my, uh, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. 
Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run. They will not grow weary. They will walk, and they will not be faint. I pray that God would encourage each and every one of us through his word this morning. Again, this is a passage of comfort to people in incredible distress. It starts off right away in verse 1. Comfort, 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 comfort. In the worst situation they have ever been in. Just, just take a moment in your own life to think about what has been your worst moment. It might have been the loss of a loved one. The end of a career, financial hardship, an illness, whatever that has been for you, God cries out to you, comfort, comfort, because that is the heart of God. That is the nature of God towards his children, towards his creation, that he wants to bring this comfort to people who have lost all hope. You see, in the days of Israel, when Babylon came and completely destroyed their way of life, the Israelites would never have thought this possible. I mean, they were this grand nation. You know, set up by King David and the rule of King Solomon. They had riches beyond riches. They had influence beyond influence. They had power. They had prestige. They had God's presence with them in the temple. And who could have imagined one day all of that gone by these pagan, no good Babylonians? (laughs) Yet that became their reality. No more temple, no more king, no more influence, no more power, no more riches, nothing. It's all gone. And yet God cries out to them through this prophet, comfort, comfort, comfort is available. For the children of God. It always has been and it always will be. But comfort doesn't always mean no hardship. If your faith with God is simply about, I just want my life to be completely comfortable. I want my life to be without any problems. I don't want any illness in my life. I don't want any financial trouble in my life. I don't want any relationship problems in my life. And if you think that God's just going to miraculously take care of all of that stuff, uh, you're not following what the Bible teaches us. You're following something else. 
kind of a different teaching that life is supposed to be everything I want it to be and just be perfect, and I'm supposed to have this genie in a bottle that will give me anything that I want. (laughs) But in this world, we will have many troubles. But you and I can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. And so what I want us to do for the remainder of our time together today is look at three things from this kind of last few verses of chapter 40. Because I think chapter 40 here, especially towards the end of it here, gives us some practical um, advice as people of God to deal with our hardship. Again, whatever, what, what, whatever we turn to aside from God to deal with our discomfort, like my comforter and Star Wars, <laughs> okay? I need to implement different habits than that. You and I need different habits. Whatever you run to for your comfort, if it's not God first, hopefully some of these advice here that comes from the prophet will help each of us Run to him, turn to him, seek him, feel his presence when we need his comfort the most. So here's the first advice that we get from the prophet. It's real simple. It's three little words. I encourage you to write these down. It's lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. In Isaiah 40, verse 26, it says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. There's something in our world today, and I don't know what it is, but we tend to walk around like this. We tend to walk around like this. I mean, because we got used to looking at our phones. <laughs> but we, we, we're downcast. And, and when life is hard or when you're struggling, this is a very easy posture. It, it's a posture of defeat. Right? It, it, it's a posture of... I have no clue what to do. And the prophet here tells the people of God, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. And it's not a, it's lift your eyes. And then he tells them to look to the heavens. Look to the skies. Look at God's incredible creation. One of the things I love to do, there's, I've talked about this for the years I've been here, and this is no surprise unless you're new here. Um, I hate camping, and my family loves camping. Now, one of my f- favorite things about COVID um, was we weren't allowed to go camping. Um, so it was amazing. Like, it was really great when they closed all the parks and we couldn't go camping. It was like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Okay? But um, one of the things I love the most about camping or one of the things I love about going to visit my parents in northern Ontario is going outside and look to the heavens. And it looks like the beginning of Star Wars. <laughs> and that's not the reason why I love it, okay? But you see stars in such a radically different way than when we get out of the city and we go to the country. And when you stand there in complete darkness in the woods, and you look to the heavens, there is this incredible sense of awe that comes from realizing that God created all of this. 
that this wasn't just some cosmic accident. This wasn't just some random act that out of nothing, everything showed up. I have a good friend of mine who's an atheist who that's what he believes. And I constantly remind him he is a greater man of faith than I am because I cannot go from nothing to everything with nothing in between. Like he's a much greater man of faith than me because I need a creator (laughs) to launch this. And you stand out there, you lift up your eyes and you look to the heavens. You take a moment and you breathe and you look at this. And then Isaiah talks about God ordered all of this. He knows all of their names. He's placed every single one of those stars in the skies, just like he has ordained and placed everything into your life. He's got it. He's right there in all of it. Right? We see this idea of lift your eyes all over your Bible. We can read about this in Psalm 121, where it says this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who makes the heavens and the earth. If you find yourself constantly like this, just arch your back a little bit, roll your shoulders back, and lift your eyes. Lift your eyes. Look out at the stars. Look at the creation. Look at the heavens to be reminded of God's incredible power, of who he is as creator. So that's the first piece of advice, to help us find comfort, to be reminded of God, to feel the presence of God. Lift your eyes. The second thing, encourage a a lot of people, myself included, write these, these are two words. Write these two words down, underline it, bold it, circle it, do whatever you got to do. Okay, two words. If you want more of God's comfort in your life, here they are. Stop complaining. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Okay. We as followers of Jesus have picked up the really bad habit of complaining all the time. We need to knock it off. Now, I'm not saying that we've got to be doormats and we can't stand up for justice and we can't seek mercy and all of those things. We definitely need to still do that as well, too. But boy, oh boy, I complain a lot. And here's what complaining does. Complaining fuels bitterness. Complaining fuels anger. And complaining has a way of gripping your heart so tightly that nothing, nothing will convince you otherwise than the thing you have been complaining about. That's what it does for me. That's what it does in my life. And ask my wife, she'll tell you, I complain a lot. Because there's a lot in the world to complain about. But look at the words here. From Isaiah in verse 27. Verse 27. Turn the page. There we go. Verse 27. Like, that's not it. There we go. Verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Now, some of you are going, Great, my name's not Jacob. I'm free. 
He's talking to some dude named Jacob who's complaining a lot. No, Jacob is kind of this term for Israel. In other words, God's people. In other words, the church. Why do you complain, church? Why do you complain? Yes, is this situation hard? Yes. Is this situation not what we would want? Yes. But do we trust God? Do we know that God works for all things, works the good of all things for those who follow him and those who trust him? Yes. Do we know that Jesus is victorious over everything? Yes. Do we know that the schemes of hell will never defeat the church? Yes. All these things we know, but we need to implement the spiritual practice to stop complaining, right? One of the things I, I literally did this this week because, again, ask the people around me. I was complaining a lot this week. It's amazing how God's timing works because I picked this topic six months ago. <laughs> but this week was a bad week. And I was complaining about everything. <laughs> and I had to take verse 27 here. And write it down several times in my little journal book. Why do you complain, Kevin? Am I not still God? Am I not still working? Am I still not changing lives? Have I still not called you to this? Have I still not? Have I still not? Right? This is a spiritual discipline that I think God has called us to. That if we want to find, you won't find comfort in your complaining. You won't. I don't. What I find in my complaining is then I gather other people around me who are complaining about the same thing. I've got a great group of friends that love to just sit around for hours upon hours complaining about Disney Star Wars. Okay, now I make jokes about this, but this is just an example of how this works. And I can find thousands upon thousands of people to follow my YouTube channel and give me super chats and make money off of my complaining. And all I'm doing is creating more and more and more bitterness and anger and frustration with these people. We fuel each other. We fuel each other. We spur each other on in it. It's not good. It's not good. And I think that's one of the things that social media that we've seen do is we complain about something on social media, and then suddenly it looks like everybody agrees you because the algorithm catches that and just sends you people who complain just like you do. <laughs> so whatever you complain about, you think everyone's complaining about it because the algorithm th is showing you everyone's complaining about it. We need to break that. <laughs> and we need to do what the Apostle Paul taught the church in Philippians chapter 4, where he said this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. See, because we can complain, like it says here in verse 7, it says, why do you complain, Jacob? Right? Because then the next, it continues down in the second part of the verse. It says, you know, that, 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 that God's ways, we don't fully understand it. We can't fully comprehend it. So we can sit there and complain about it. Or 
we can look for where God is working. We can see where God is working. We can think about what is true. We can think about what is noble, what is lovely, what is right, what is pure. And let that become contagious. Let that become contagious. So we need to lift our eyes. We need to stop complaining. And then finally, the piece of advice we get from the prophet here is we need to listen to truth. In whatever you're facing, whatever hardship, whatever pain, whatever sorrow comes into your life, we need to listen to truth. Right here in verse 20, 28, it says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understandings no one can fathom. See, when you and I are hurting, lies are very easy to listen to. (laughs) They're very easy to listen to. It's very easy. And again, as I've struggled with different things over the years and, and I've wrestled with certain things over the years, it's very easy to take a posture of victim when I'm the victor. <laughs> I'm victorious in Christ. I'm not a victim, but I need to be reminded of that truth. <laughs> when I don't feel like, like I'm a very good husband, God reminds me of his power in me that I can actually love my wife as Christ loves the church through his power in me but I need to be reminded of that truth when there are days and I have them. This isn't a pity party. This is just an honesty thing because we all go through it. When I sit there and I go, you know, a greenbelt would be better with a different pastor than me. I should step down. And then God reminds you, called you to this. Stop complaining. Get to work through my power. You need to fill your head with the truth of God. That's why I tell you to read your Bible. That's why I tell you, don't take my word for it. Read it. (laughs) Fill your life with it. Use the YouVersion Bible app. We've got this cool new little feature now where you can add Greenbelt as your church. I'd love for all of you to use it so we can encourage one another through using the word of God to spur ourselves up, to build ourselves up. Because as Paul was saying earlier during our worship time through song, is that there are so many voices right now lying to you. And you will believe them. You will believe them more than me. It happens all the time where I talk to people from our church who have got this lie in their mind and there's nothing I can say that will convince them otherwise. The only thing that can ever get rid of the lie is you got to replace it with truth. You got to replace it with truth. Do you not know? Have you not heard? If you've never read your Bible, you don't know. You've not heard. (laughs) So we need this constant renewal of truth from the word of God to bring us God's comfort in whatever we're dealing with, right? Jesus said these words in John chapter 17, verse 17. He said, sanctify them by the truth, Your word is truth. That's God's 
Jesus' desire for you and for me to experience more of the comfort of God in our lives is we got to be sanctified. What sanctified We're set apart. We're made holy by truth. And we're made holy. Where does this truth come from? Not my opinions and not my feelings. It comes from God's truth of his word. So the big idea that I just want to leave you with comes directly from this passage in Isaiah chapter 40. Is no matter what you are dealing with, if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling discouraged, remember what the prophet tells us here, that God gives strength to the weary and the weak. God gives strength to the weary and to the weak. And he gives that strength, not because we are pulling it all together and we're just making it happen. He gives us that strength when we turn from our sins and we turn to God. When we realize that the things that I was doing to bring comfort in my life are actually not even bringing me comfort. They're just making me feel worse. And then we realize that God is the ultimate comfort. And the major thing that we learn about in Isaiah that he wants to bring comfort from is sin and death. And the way he brings comfort from sin and death is he sent his one and only son to die for us. And when we believe that, when we confess with our mouths that God rose Jesus from the dead, when we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible teaches us that we become children of God. That's where the comfort starts. And you can be assured that these words here in Isaiah 40, verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, is available to you. That you are in that category of my people because you prayed, Father, forgive me. Come into my life. I thank you that your forgiveness is available freely. Thank you that your comfort is available. If you pray that for the first time today, please let me know. Church online, a pop-up shows up. Let us know about that here in person. Come tell me after the service. I want to rejoice with you. But that's that's where the ultimate comfort comfort comes from. <laughs> and then we go on this journey together as a church family of helping one another to lift our eyes. Because <laughs> sometimes you need a, f- a friend to help you lift your eyes. We help one another to stop complaining. Sometimes you need a friend to say, Kev, dude, shut up. (laughs) We need those people in our lives. And we need one another speaking truth in love and in compassion to one another so that we can truly experience as a family, as a church, the comforts of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, I praise you and thank you for your amazing comfort that is freely given to all people because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So today, Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort to everyone who's able to hear my voice in person and online, that your comfort would come no matter what we are dealing with as a church, no matter what we are dealing with as families, as individuals, Lord, bring comfort. We cry out to you. And God, uh, we pray that whatever we are dealing with that has been difficult, 
like the people of Israel were praying that it would come to an end soon. Lord, we do ask that it would come to an end soon and that we could rejoice because we've seen you at work. God, help us to lift our eyes. Help us to stop complaining. Help us to learn your truth so that we can feel and know more and more of your comfort in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.